All right, Luke chapter 4 is where we are. Luke chapter 4, uh, 31 through 41 are, are the 11 verses we're looking at uh, this morning. You can turn there in your Bibles or scroll there on your phones. We've got Bibles around the seats here. We always put Scripture up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible at home, uh, grab one of these Bibles that's kind of around the room and, and take that home and break that in. That's our gift uh, to you. Uh, but Luke 4, 31 through 41. While you're flipping there, let me just go ahead and let you know up front, let's just let it out of the bag here, that uh, today's going to be an interesting one because today we're looking at Satan and demons. And so if you're a guest, come back next week. We would love for that to happen. Uh, We've been walking straight through uh, the New Testament book of Luke on the life and the ministry and the message of Jesus uh, recorded for us uh, by Luke, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, And uh, one of the things we like to do is just walk straight through books of the Bible so that I'm not up here on my soapbox, and uh, it keeps us uh, moving forward and saying things even if they're difficult. And so that's where we find ourselves uh, today. Uh, Today, uh, we've been, uh, again, walking through Luke for, I think, three months now, and uh, we just last week started officially the ministry of Jesus, where he is now uh, moving past preparation and going towards the, the ministry. And, and today, we, we land in the coastal town of Capernaum, which is uh, where uh, the ministry of Jesus is going to camp out now for uh, quite some time, until about Luke chapter 19, so 4 through 19, specifically landing at Peter's house. Uh, Peter, uh, the disciple who will be, be a leader among the disciples and the apostles, I believe, to be the oldest one. It's now at his house where they're camping out. And Capernaum is a small kind of coastal town along this impressive sea of Galilee. It's a fishing community, but Capernaum is just a small little town, maybe max a, a few hundred people. And here in their local synagogue, Jesus starts to spar with some demons. And so it should be good. And, and, and throughout the book of Luke, we're going to see a lot of demonic, uh, satanic activity. And, and you might think, okay, Josh, we're going to see a lot of this in this little small town. But we live in a big town, in a big city, in, in Boston. And I don't see a lot of people running around with demons and possessed. And, uh, you know, my, my belief is that... Uh, Though Satan and and demons are are very present still today, there is heightened activity around the life and the ministry of Jesus. Much like when we figured out where Osama bin Laden was, uh, the United States pulled out all the stops, didn't we? Uh, We got the aerial view. We we figured out what his compound looked like. We built a compound in uh, the west coast side of America and had our Navy SEALs training on that, getting all prepared for that so that they could then go and and take out uh, Osama bin Laden, and they just pulled out all the stops. And I believe that that's what's happening here around the life and the ministry of Jesus, that there's this frenzy of demonic, satanic activity uh, around Jesus. If you remember, Satan himself came to tempt Jesus for 40 days in the wilderness, and and, and now uh, we see demonic around uh, Jesus as we uh, continue forward. And we believe the Bible... And so we believe what the Bible says, and the Bible says that there are demons and there is a real devil that is Satan. Now, there's two things that, that I'm going to ask of you, and so let's, let's agree to this. Two things. First of all, don't freak out, and second of all, don't check out. 
Because I think those are kind of the, the extremes that we tend to, to gravitate towards. So some of you are going to, you're tempted to, to freak out after this, to get all juiced up and go Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, demon hunting. And, and that's, that's some of you, right? And you're going to find a demon in everything, right? It's Boston. It's, there's no parking spaces anymore because of the snow. And so it's the parking demon, right? We got an especially large amount of parking demons in Boston right now. That's you. There's a demon in, in, in my soup, right? Uh, there, because it burned my tongue. I mean, there's a demon in everything. That's, that's some of us. We go to that extreme. Or, or you just run around scared all the time, right? Don't get scared. That's not what we want for you. The, the second thing we don't want for you, the second extreme is we don't want you to, to check out either. Like demons, come on. This is, this is crazy talk. I mean, that is for ancient, uncivilized people. Right? But we are sophisticated and we don't believe in that stuff anymore. See, uh, some of you have heard of C.S. Lewis, yes? Uh, just a great uh, writer, philosopher, uh, fiction writer as well. And, and listen to what he wrote in his book about the, the topic, uh, the book called The Screwtape Letters. Here's what he says. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Right? And, and so... Don't check out, but also don't freak out. In fact, uh, this will be a, a sermon here on Satan and demons, but we're going to close with communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. And we're going to remember the cross of Christ and what he did and his victory over Satan and sin and death. And so don't let this freak you out, scare you, anything like that. He crushes Satan. He crushes sin. He crushes death. As we uh, talk about, refer to often, Genesis chapter 3, 15. This is when God speaks to Satan. It says this. He says, he, Jesus, shall bruise your head. Satan was in the form of a serpent there. He shall bruise your head. And you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. So let me ask you, what would you rather? A head wound? Or heal wound. We'd rather heal wound. So Jesus wins. That's, that's the point there. It's a prophetic looking forward. We call it the proto-evangelion. The first hint of the gospel. That Jesus is going to win. And we know the end of the story. So don't worry. Now let's read Luke chapter 4, 31 through 32. It says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. So here's what we've got. So as we saw last week, Jesus is about to spend a ton of time in the synagogue. Throughout his ministry, as he's traveling around, he's kind of doing the synagogue circuit, and he spends a lot of time in in the synagogue, which is basically the Old Testament, Old Covenant church service, where they gather together in a simple room like this, and they study the scriptures, they pray together, and they worship the, the Lord. And so he, as his, was his custom, goes into the synagogue and, and he would teach. And, and here uh, Luke tells us he, he does it again. He shows up to their synagogue, this particular one in Capernaum. He's the guest preacher for the day. He's the guest teacher. He teaches. And how does it say that they respond? Look at it. Verse 32 says they were astonished at his teaching. They were blown away. This is incredible. We hear phrases like this about the teaching of Jesus throughout the the New Testament. People say things like, they were amazed 
at his teaching. The, the crowds, they, they pressed in on him almost to crush him. He had to go out into a, a, a body of water on a boat so that they could hear and not crush him. I mean, this, people wanted to hear Jesus. It was amazing when he, he preached. Why? Because, as it says here, his word, when he taught, possessed authority. Yeah, it was passionate. It was, it was engaging. But it carried this, this weight. It carried this kind of power. Think back to his first sermon recorded in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. In Nazareth, it, it says, he says of himself, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. Right? So Jesus was preaching with the Spirit of God upon him. He's preaching with Holy Spirit power. This is not what they were used to when their rabbis got up, when their teachers got up. They didn't possess Holy Spirit power. It was lengthy. It was uh, over-the-top detail stuff going on. And it just was, it was lacking. And there wasn't this power authority behind it that Jesus comes inaugurating for us the coming of God the Holy Spirit upon all believers so he's this phenomenal teacher like nobody they've ever heard can you just imagine with me I've been trying all week just to imagine what would it be like to be sitting where you're at and and listening to Jesus himself teach I, I mean I can't even imagine right but just absolutely astonishing right so it's going really well for Jesus and then it gets crazy up in that synagogue, right? I mean, this is crazy. Look at this. Luke chapter 4, 33 and 34. Let's read on. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Speaking on behalf of others. Us. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. All right, here we go. You ready for this? The sermon is going well. People are on the edge of their seats. The Holy Spirit is moving in their heart. And there's this guy with no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit or what God's doing in the hearts of others around. And he gets up and he goes to the restroom. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) And he gets up. And he goes and gets some coffee right in the middle of everything. And everybody's like, what's going on? No, that's not what it says. Freudian slip, my bad. It says, it says, <laughs> he says, ah, what are you doing, Jesus? You're here to mess us up? Right? He has a spirit of an unclean demon, and he's screaming. See, Satan and demons they hate it when God is moving. They, I mean, they hate it when God is moving, which is why I believe we have heightened demonic activity in the section of the scriptures that we see here. I, I heard from a guy the other day, said something like, you know, it seems like all this demon stuff only happens around Christians. I mean, I don't see anything like that in, in my world, in my reality. So I'm like, well, well, yeah, because the enemy isn't threatened by you. You're on his team. Do you get that? So there's, of course, there's heightened activity all around. But when God is moving, there's often opposition. Now, now listen, don't get overly concerned when, when things seem like they're going bad. 
Don't be overly concerned when there's obstacles and there's roadblocks and there's challenges and difficulties in your life as a Christian. Instead, be concerned when it seems like there's nothing going wrong, (laughs) right? Because at that point, maybe it's because you're not a threat. But when you say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower in Jesus, I'm not on your team, target on your chest and you are a threat and Jesus is preaching in power of the Holy Spirit in the synagogue and people are moved and then all of a sudden ha just interrupts right in the middle of everything I'll I'll never forget my very first time just being really aware of the demonic I mean I heard about it you know and saw the cartoons whatever Um, my first time I was in this amazingly powerful church service people are giving their lives to Jesus when Right in the middle of the sermon, this woman jumps up and just starts screaming and saying all kinds of strange accusatory things towards uh, the, the minister with regards to what was being said. This woman had no history of erratic behavior like this. So we stopped, prayed over her, we ministered to her, we brought her out. And this is not, trust me, this was not a church that was like, you know, one of those Pentecostal type churches, like really extreme kind of stuff. This wasn't one of those, it was like really ecstatic, crazy stuff. I mean, it was normal for people to jump up and go nuts or wave a flag or something. It was not one of those. This was way, way out of the ordinary. So, do we believe in demons? Do we believe in Satan? Yes and yes. Does it make me uncomfortable? Yes. Listen, I'm not that preacher. Some of you have been around for, you know, I'm just not that preacher. I'm not the preacher that ties every single sermon back to the book of Revelation. That's that's just not me. Simply, I just, I just, I'm a Bible guy, right? I'm a Bible guy. And so again, we, we like to preach straight through books of the Bible here because we have to talk about whatever's next, even if it's strange and, and a little bit uncomfortable. And that's where we find ourselves today. Here we are. And there's this Battle. We must acknowledge that there's this battle that is raging in the book of Luke, in the life of Jesus, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God, which Jesus speaks about a ton. And there are numerous accounts of Satan and demons in the life of Jesus. And we're going to just see it throughout the book. So, Jesus is inside of the synagogue, their church service. This man screams out, and I think it's important to note that he screams out in church. (laughs) He screams out in the gathering of believers. See, a lot of people have this idea that if I walk in through these doors, I walk into this perfect bubble of holiness, (laughs) and you are severely mistaken. You know, out there, demonic and terrible, and in here, everything's just angelic and perfect. And, oh no, oh no. The demonic is a reality even in and around, quote unquote, church. Because, again, God is moving and Satan would love nothing more than him and his army to disrupt it. And I did say army, by the way. We, we opened talking about singing about angel armies, right? And the counterpart to that is demonic armies, the army of Satan. He is commander and chief. Now, I say that because do I believe that Satan is among us today? 
No, absolutely not. Not likely. Because Satan doesn't possess the attributes of God. And so God is omnipotent. Omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Satan is powerful. More powerful than you and I. But he's not all-powerful. God is omniscient. I mean, he's omniscient, all-knowing. He, he knows all things. Satan is, is not all-knowing. Now, he's been around for a very, 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 very long time, much longer than us, and so he's incredibly smart. However, he's not all-knowing. God is omnipresent, means he's everywhere at one time somehow. Satan is not omnipresent, which means he can only be at one place at a time. And so, of all the places that he could be, do you, are we going to flatter ourselves and say he's probably right here, right now? That's, there he is. No, probably not right here, right now. And at the beginning of, of chapter 4, if you remember, we see Satan himself tempting Jesus. Towards the end of the book, in, in chapter 2, we see Satan himself entering into Judas Iscariot, who is then going to sell Jesus out for chump change so that Jesus gets nailed to the cross. And so those are the kinds of projects that you can imagine Satan's working on right now. Likely not in here, but he has an army. He has an army of fallen angels or, or demons, not unlike we read and sing about angel armies. And his army, they're, they're, they're demons commissioned to places like a soldier might be, like Rosendale, like Charles River Church. And oddly enough, I, I hope we are a threat enough. I hope we're worthy of being on the radar, right? These are fallen angels. Listen, God created them as angels. He created Lucifer, the angel who we now refer to as Satan or the devil. At one time, a beautiful, wonderful angel. At one time, the scripture says that it all, God looks at everything and says it's all, all that I've created is, is very good. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. One time, it was all very good. But sometime later, prior to the creation of man, Lucifer rebelled. He wanted to be God, right? Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 tells us of how he, he fell from heaven. The morning star falls from heaven. Luke chapter 10, 18, Jesus himself says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, Revelation, which is this apocalyptical book at the end of your Bible, it's got all kinds of funky pictures. Doesn't mean it looked just like that, but the book of Revelation uh, gives us this picture, chapter 12, about a dragon. That would be Satan who is falling from the sky, and as he does so, he takes his tail, and he sweeps a third of the stars out of the sky. And we see throughout the book of Revelation and elsewhere in the scriptures that stars often refer to angels, right? So this one-third are those fallen angels. Hebrews chapter 12 will talk about an innumerable, you can't even number, an innumerable company of angels. And so one-third of an innumerable company of angels is still a lot of angels who are now fallen angels. They are demons, a spiritual army. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Some of you might be familiar with this. This is a really important verse. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us about unseen battles and unseen places that are raging all around us. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not merely physical, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. It doesn't mean that demons are in heaven, but in those unseen places. Now that's serious, huh? That's what we call spiritual warfare that is happening around us. Now, I used to wrestle in high school. Go ahead, get out of your system, laugh at it, right? Yeah, I wore spandex, all that. And, and I would study my opponents. So if I was in a wrestling tournament on a Saturday and I, would, I, I won, which happened all the time, right? And so I'd, I'd win, and <laughs> sarcasm, and I'd go forward, and then I'd run to the wall and I'd look on all the brackets for the different weight classes, and I would see my weight class. Okay, I just won here. Okay, these two guys are wrestling, and I'm going to wrestle the winner of that match. So I'd run back to the mat, and I, w- I would watch their match and study what they were doing. Hopefully, throughout the course of the past couple of weeks, Belichick and his boys have been doing some studying, right? have been studying the Seahawks, the videos, and going through all of that so that we can uh, binge on some Doritos and watch them win, right? And, and that's what you do, right? You study the enemy. You study the uh, op- opponent, right? And similarly, we must study the enemy. We must study Satan and demons. Know their schemes. Know their limitations. Know how to counter their, their moves and see victory. God wants victory for us. And so for the remainder of our time together, I just want to give you uh, some insider Bill Belichick information on Satan and demons, and I pray that it'll be helpful. So if you want to write these down, here's three for you. Here's the first one. The first one is demons can possess, they can oppress, and they can influence. It's an important fact that you need to know. They can possess, oppress, and influence. So back to, to Luke chapter 4. Some might say, okay, wait a second. Like I said before, this is inside of the church, right? This is inside of the, the, the synagogues, right? And it's happening because they are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. So if, it's, if it does happen inside, among us, does that mean that I, as a Christian, can be demon-possessed? And the answer with great biblical authority is no, absolutely not. First of all, what is demon possession? In the scriptures, we see that, that demons like to reside in someone or something. And so think about some of the stories in the scripture. Demons in a house. Demons in people. Remember the story with Jesus? Demons flee into the, the swine or to the pigs and they run off the cliff. They, they like to reside in something. Not that all demons are inside of something, but they like to. And so that's what we would refer to as demon possessions. When, when there's you know, these stories of things happening in the scriptures and it's evident that there's an unclean spirit often referred to in the scriptures or a demon, uh, same thing, uh, that takes direct or complete control over the thoughts and the actions of a person. And so sometimes... People will claim, I'm hearing voices. And you know what? Maybe, maybe some people actually are hearing real voices. Do we believe in mental illness? I've had some believers in my life say, there's no such thing as mental illness. It's all just, it's all just spiritual. But yes, we believe in mental illness. We believe in chemical imbalance. We, we believe in, in medication for that kind of stuff. But sometimes it's not simply chemical but it's also spiritual. Sometimes people have harmful thoughts, erratic behavior, self-mutilization, suicide, murder, because as you read through the scripture, Satan's ultimate goal is death. 
That's, that's his goal. So it could be possession. Or it could be he doesn't possess people at all. He just leaves certain people alone. Leaves them to their own devices. As you read through the scriptures, one of the worst things that God could do is leave you alone. He comes after you. For Satan, one of the best things that he could do for some people is just to leave them alone. Let them go by their own devices. Keep you comfortable. Keep you fat. Keep you happy. So that you don't look towards the, the Lord. But some people are possessed and there are physical manifestations of something that could potentially be demonic possession. And when you see that, and maybe you have, I believe that I have, when you see that, don't run and hide and scream and say, they're awful, get away from me. No, we, we do what Jesus does. And we have compassion on people. Now, as a Christian, we cannot be indwelt by a demon. Why? Because as a Christian, the Bible tells us that when we give our lives to the Lord, we are immediately at that moment indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. So when a demon comes our way, Holy Spirit says, Forrest Gump, seat taken, right? That's what God does, right? <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16, you are God's temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. So, historically speaking, in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed and never rebuilt. Why? Because we're the temple now. Does that make sense? God moving throughout history. It wasn't Christians who said, ah, let's try to fulfill the Bible. Let's knock it down. That didn't happen. They came in. They destroyed our temple because we're the temple now. The Holy Spirit is within us now. He resides within us. There is no room. Seat is taken, right? We cannot be possessed by the demonic. But catch this, we can be influenced by the demonic, oppressed by demonic. And, and, and maybe for you, you, you have some sense of that in your own life where you've, it was so strong against me. It was so strong. I was so weak. I was being attacked spiritually. That, that, that does happen. Spiritual warfare, when Satan is seeking through his army to cause you, lead you to sin. Maybe you've had intense, I mean intense moments of temptation. Or, or, or simply, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you've, you've had these moments where there, there's this battle raging in your heart and you're wrestling and, and, and lies are coming at you. We saw last week or a couple weeks ago that one of the great devices of Satan and he trains his army this way is to lie to you. You are not worthy. God could not love you. You have sinned too much. When God says, listen, I've cast all that away as far as the east is from the west and you believe lies and there's demonic influence, demonic oppression or activity in and around your, your life. And maybe that's what it looks like for you, but there is a very real battle that is being waged for you, Ephesians chapter 6. I have this friend who was ministering in India, and he went to sleep at night, and he was awakened to a, a grip on him, just this very real physical grip on him, picked him and threw him out of his bed as he's doing ministry in India. Was he possessed by a demon? No. 
No demon entered into him, but I believe that he was engaging in this very real spiritual battle for the hearts and the souls of people who needed Jesus. And there was a a real threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so as a Christian, remember, he has the spirit of God within him. He spent the rest of the night just on his knees in prayer, spiritual warfare. Listen, the demonic can and does have a very real impact on our reality. Do we know, can we say with certainty exactly what's what? No. Can't stand it when people are like, that was a demon. (laughs) That was Satan influencing. I don't know, maybe. It's real though, and I'm going to pray against it, and you should pray against it, and we should be ready with our Bibles open in the name of Jesus on our tongue, right? Don't freak out, but also don't check out this is a reality. Now, Non-Christians, for you, you need to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And that happens when you give your life to Jesus. Because listen, Scriptures make it very clear that, that when we turn to God and sin, which happened through Adam, we now are on Satan's team. We have said, I'm identifying with him. I'm following him. I don't need you, God. You can't be neutral. Some of you are neutral about the game tonight. You're like, I'm going to be on the team whoever's winning at halftime. That's who I'm going to start cheering for, right? You can't be neutral in this. We're born an enemy of God because of our sin. In sin, my mother conceived me, right? I'm born sinning, the Bible makes that very clear, because of the sin of Adam and Eve inherited to us. When you become a Christian, you're on God's team. Some of you need to enter into the team of God by the grace of God. Through the Lord Jesus. That means we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. And we say, I do not want to follow him anymore. I want to follow you all the days of my life because of what Jesus has done. He's lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death I deserve in my place. Lord, I'll take that. And he offers that to you. He says, come on into my family. Come on into that security. I will, Holy Spirit, will indwell you and you will be his child. You will have that new DNA written within your heart and your life. It's a beautiful thing. So non-Christians, I invite you, I invite you to come to Jesus today. Now Christians, I invite you to think about, pray about how do we fight against demonic influence in our lives. Not possession, influence in our lives. Well, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus gives us this amazing parable of an empty house. We talked about it actually a few months ago here at the church, and so I won't go into it too much, but think about yourself as a house, right? It's not inconsistent with Scripture at all. The Spirit of God indwells you, right? He's, he's taken up residency inside of your house. That doesn't stop the demonic from coming and seeking to ransack your, your place. Demonic cannot move in, but the demonic can ransack your place for sure. How? If you're a house, it's kind of like when you keep the windows and the doors open, right? We live in the city, and so I'm sure nobody here leaves their doors unlocked when you go to bed at night. Think about your apartment. Think about your, your place. You, you lock the doors, even in the summertime. I, I keep my windows open, but when we had our, our children living on a first floor level, I would go and I would lock their windows. I was really concerned about that kind of stuff, right? And some of us, we leave our doors wide open and our windows open, these, these entrances into our lives for 
the demonic to come and to ransack our house. And just some real practical things. And I'm not going to draw black and white statements because it's not black and white necessarily, but I, I believe things you watch on TV, those are open doors. Some things that you uh, watch uh, in the movie theater, they're open doors. Wow, it's so cool, it's so hip, it's so demonic perhaps, right? Maybe some of the music we listen to. I think we need to be cautious about that kind of stuff. Casual browsing of the internet can often be an open door. I mean, men know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? GQ just came out with an article. My wife and I were in awe of it. Like, are you kidding me? GQ comes out with an article. Maybe pornography is not good for you. Oh, really? GQ? How insightful, right? It's probably not good for men. Are you serious? Wow. Opening doors, opening windows. Lock your doors. Lock your windows. Parents, same for your children. Every kid has access to Angry Birds or whatever on an iPhone. What are they looking at? You've got to be very, extremely cautious. Backseat with an iPad on the way to grandma's house, you've got to be careful. Computers and bedrooms, bad idea. Protect them. Protect them. Just like your child, physically lock the windows, lock the doors, protect them. Right? Not that the enemy can take residence in your house, but would love to come through ransack a little bit and run out. And some of you know that very well in your own life. There, I'm a believer. I know the Spirit of God, but I can definitely, this area at work, this little compromise, open window, open door. And you've seen the trouble that can be caused there. Point number one, demons can possess. They can oppress and they can influence. Point number two, I want to move a lot faster now. Here's, here's a big one. Demons don't get all the credit. <laughs> All right, that's point number two. Demons don't get all the credit. So, so listen, Satan is real. The demonic, real. There is an unseen battle raging. But don't overly flatter them, right? They are not the only enemy. The Bible gives us three specific enemies. Satan and his entourage, demons, right? The flesh and the world. So let me clarify a little bit. The, biblically, the flesh is our proclivity towards sin, right? We're born with the sin nature. We've already touched on that, so we can move a little faster. Inherited from Adam. So don't blame Satan and demons for you just being plain stupid. You know what I mean? Well, I was a demon. No, you're an idiot. That's what it was, right? Sometimes we just sin because we're sinful. And because we keeping the windows open. We just do dumb stuff. You turn. You repent. Right? That's what you should be doing. As I said before, Satan is not God. Neither are his demons. So, though there's a lot of them, they're not innumerable to the extent that they're infinity. They're just, we can't number them. There's so many of them. But there is a limited number of them. So, you can't say that you, we all got our own demon. Right? We, can't, we can't say that with any kind of biblical uh, authority. So, it might not be a demon on you. It might just be you. Struggling with sin because you're, you're sinful. Right? That's what we call the, the flesh. It's like a soldier who dies by his own grenade. You think the enemy is going to say, hey, let's, let's you know, put some uh, you know, ammo towards them. And really, that costs money, right? Ammo, right? No, they say, no, he's got his own ammo. And he looks like an idiot. He's kind of fumbling around over there. He's going to blow himself up, right? Let's move, some, move on somewhere else. 
right? That's the flesh, the flesh, the, the flesh. Limited resources doesn't all have to be spent on you. That's the flesh. The other enemy in the Bible is the world as we read through the scriptures. So the, the word world in the scriptures, this is important, can be used two different ways as we look through the scriptures. John 3.16, you know it, right? It's an awesome verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so when we say world is one of your enemies, we're not saying that we hate the world. There are enemies all around us. My neighbor is an enemy. No, no, we, we back in the fall studied how to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So we're not saying it's us against the world because the other usage of the word world is what we're speaking to. Here's an example. James chapter 4, 4. James, little brother of Jesus, says this. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So our enemy is, one of our enemies is the world. Wait a second, little brother of Jesus, didn't you not listen to big brother? He said, we're to love the world as I love the world. You're to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, right? Wait a second. He's not speaking to individuals, us against them. He's speaking to the world as, as in ideologies, systems of the world that stand opposed to God. One of your enemies is that you can become worldly, right? Flesh and you can become worldly. You become just like everybody else. You're trying to please everyone around you. Just fit in, do what everybody else does. Go with the status quo. And when you do that, you drift far from God. And that natural drift is one of your greatest enemies. When Satan and his enemies just say, or his demons just say, leave him alone, look at him. That is an enemy that you have as well. So the world, the, the flesh, and the satanic. You need to know the difference between those and not just hide behind. It's Satan, it's demons. Sometimes it's you. We need to be mindful of that. Here's the last point. This is good. Really important. I want you to know this in the depths of your soul, and that is that demons cower at the power of Jesus. As we read through this story, you cannot miss that. Look again at 33 and 34. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He sounds so bold at first, right? Have you come to destroy us? <laughs> I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. The demon inside of this man knew that Jesus, if he wanted to, could destroy him and us, the other within his company, because he is the Holy One of God. He is the promised one. He is the Messiah. Read on 35. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him in their midst, it's not uncommon to see demons throwing people. He came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he, Jesus, commands the unclean spirits. And they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. So Jesus just calls them out says, Shut up and get out of them right now. I mean, that's power. Power. 
and there's nothing the demon could do. You see that? He was just, oh, all right, I'm gone. <laughs> on my way out, I just kind of kick him on my way out, but I'm gone. Right? There's nothing he could do. Be comforted by that. Where the power of Jesus is, there's nothing that the enemy can do when Jesus flexes his muscles. Read on 38. And he arose, Jesus, and left the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now we're, that's Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. So not only does he speak to demons, he'll speak to your sickness if he has to. And says, done. We don't believe that the Bible promises anywhere that you will be healthy. So all that health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, garbage you see on TV, bogus, not biblical. Your hope is in Jesus, not in getting healthy. But God can, if he wants to, heal you, right? And he speaks to her fever, and he heals her. And it left her. And immediately, here's what happens when somebody's changed by Jesus. Immediately, she rose and began to serve them. See, when somebody is changed by Jesus, they want to get on the mission of Jesus. They want to get to business. They want to get on the playing field. I call some of you who are not plugged in, who are not serving, to serve, to find out where you're gifted, whether it's kids or setup or evangelism or your neighborhood, whatever it is. Get to work. If you're changed by Jesus, she got to work. Immediately, she got to work. That's crazy. Now, when the sun was setting, verse 40, all those who had any or were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Every one of them. Just a picture of the kingdom of God. When it comes in fullness, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more uh, enemy of, of, of Satan around. It will be gone. He healed them. The demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. All right, so here's what we have now. Jesus leaves the synagogue, right? And he goes to Simon Peter's house. And moving forward now, this is where the ministry of Jesus will be headquartered. I believe that Jesus was sleeping at Simon Peter's house hanging out there all the time, and they would go out into other villages and other areas, and they would, they would uh, minister in other places. But I, kept, I believe they kept coming back to this, this house. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And, and, and history will tell us that the church here, there was a church here in this house after Jesus died, was buried, uh, resurrected, came back, showed himself, and then ascended into heaven. There was a church that met here. And as the church grew, you know what they did? They just blow out a wall of Peter's house. Little expansion, they blow out another wall, little expansion, blow out another wall, little expansion. And now it's no longer Peter's house or it's not in his family. And now there's a church sitting on top of this site. It's amazing. I mean, you can go. It's a real place today. There's a church right there in this house. And the first person on a reach team at that church is Peter's mother-in-law. Love it. Now, some of you grew up Catholic. And you're told Peter was the first pope. And popes and pastors and priests can't be married. Peter had a mother-in-law. Just take it for what it is. I don't know. He heals her mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. Then people start to bring those who are sick. 
You can do it with her. You can do it with others. Those who have diseases. He starts to bring, they start to bring people who have demon possession to, to Jesus. And what does he do? This is awesome. It says he lays hands on all of them and he, he prays for them. Listen, this should be a regular practice of Christians. Laying hands on people, praying over people. Don't just tell people, hey, let me pray for you. I'll pray for you. Email. Praying for you? No. Pray right then and there, right? I mean, it should be as frequent as going and getting a cup of coffee in a service. Just as frequent should be people all around the room just praying over each other. What's going on in your life? Oh, it's been a tough week. Let me pray for you. That's what Jesus does. He puts his hands on them and he, he prays for them. And when you put your hands on somebody, there's nothing magical. There's not like some power going out of you and onto them. It's just a physical picture of compassion and love. Some people don't have that compassion and love in their lives. Others do, but it's just something we do. We hug, we love, we lay hands on people. We pray over them. It's a picture of the grace of Jesus being extended to them. And he prays over these people. And lastly, it says, demons come out of many and they declare the truth. You are the son of God. But Jesus makes them shut up, doesn't he? Is that? No, more talking. Why? I don't want demons doing my evangelism, right? I'm going to leave that to the people like Peter's mother-in-law who have been changed. Let them share, right? Let you share. And if you don't, who else will? When's the last time you've shared Jesus with somebody else? I mean, some of us could look back over the past year, 2014, and say, I don't think I talked about Jesus with a non-Christian one time. Something wrong with that. Something terribly wrong with that. When you look in the scriptures, people get changed by Jesus. They, they just can't help but talk about it. There's something wrong if we're not talking about Jesus to other people, Christians. So the demons, they shut up. They obey Jesus. Back in verse 34, they realize he could destroy us. We'll just be quiet now. Right? Why? Because Jesus has power. Jesus has Holy Spirit power. And they are terrified. Remember the old cartoons? Some of my, my kids, I sit down, try to watch a cartoon with them that like, wasn't made with computers. I'm like, this is so lame, Dad. <laughs> Come on, it was so cool. Tom and Jerry. And we watched them, Tom and Jerry. And then on either shoulder, you got little... You got little demon, Tomcat. <laughs> you got like little Jesus, Tomcat on either shoulder, you know. And we have that kind of picture of God and Satan, of God and the enemies. It's like on either shoulder, equal power on the scale. They're about the same. No. As we see here, the forces of darkness cower at Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has power. He has power. We know the end of the story that we win because Jesus has already won. It was inaugurated. The victory is there. And we're going to see it in fullness at the end when he will wipe away every tear from our eye. And what will be no more? Death will be no more. One of the primary objectives of the enemy will be no more. But let me remind you of something. Jesus has power. 
But now that power is at your disposal. It doesn't mean that we're walking around trying to heal people. We read through the scriptures. We pray for healing. We trust God for healing. We read through the scripture. There are different gifts that are given to different people. There's no guarantee that anybody can walk around and start healing people. That's craziness when you hear people say that. But remember that the power that Jesus carried is now given to us, right? Because that power, the Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus is now within us. And so you don't have to be afraid because that power is with you and for you. James chapter 4 1 Peter chapter 5, both of them say we are to resist the devil and his forces and he will what? He will flee from you. Why? Because he sees Christ in you. He sees the Holy Spirit power in you. Listen to what John, little brother, or, or friend of Jesus wrote. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God. You've overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That, that power, that promise is for you. You don't have to be afraid. All this Satan demon stuff, real, don't take it lightly. But also know that God, the Holy Spirit, is indwelling you if you've given your life to Jesus. That kind of stuff that we see may or may not be happening frequently in your reality. Some places, I believe it's, it's frequent. It's heavy. The battle rages hotter than ever in some places. But regardless, we have Holy Spirit power for when we are attacked with any enemy. Flesh, world, Satan, demons, Holy Spirit power given to you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's an amazing promise. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. This is amazing stuff. It's crazy stuff. It's so beyond us. But we trust you, Lord. We want to be a people who really believe your word. And so, God, I pray that we would take this stuff seriously, but we'd also be very comforted in the fact that you have already won. You have granted us your power. And that we wrestle a little while longer in spiritual attack, in spiritual warfare, that we know the end of the story. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray for anybody in this room who's never given their lives fully over to Jesus. God, I pray that they would turn from sin, turn to Jesus. They would trust in you. They would acknowledge their need for you and how good and gracious you are, that you could have wiped your hands of them, but you loved them so much that you died for them. And you resurrected and you reigned supreme as king of all things. Be the king of our lives, God. For those who don't have you sitting on the throne of their lives, Lord, may they turn to you, submit their hearts to you. And the best way that they know how as we pray, as we sing, as we partake of communion, may they just submit their hearts and their wills fully to you. And God, for Christians in the room, give them boldness. May we not be marked by fear and trepidation, May we be marked by people who are bold because we have your spirit within us. That it's not some theological principle in some seminary textbook, but it is something that we know full well. And we live. And people see it. And they say there is something different.
going on there. Do that work in us. Do that work through us. We commit these things to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.